Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do a great job. And you can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including guests William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll also visit with Michael Cannon. He's the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Scott Baer is the CEO of the Community Pregnancy Clinics. A lot of information about Roe v. Wade, and uh, we'll speak to Scott about what's happening at the clinics. We'll also visit with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of many books, his latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. He also writes his column for Newsmax as well. It is July the 8th, and on this day in 1776, a 2,000-pound copper and tin bell, now known as the Liberty Bell, rang out from the tower of the Pennsylvania State House, now Independence Hall, in Philadelphia, summoning citizens to the first public reading of the Declaration of Independence. Four days earlier, the historic document had been adopted by delegates in the Continental Congress, but the bell did not ring to announce the issuing of the document until the Declaration of Independence returned from the printer on July the 8th. In 1751, to commemorate the 50-year anniversary of Pennsylvania's original Constitution, the Pennsylvania Provincial Assembly ordered the bell to be constructed after being cracked during a test and then recast twice the bell was hung from the statehouse steeple in June 1753. Rung to call the Pennsylvania Assembly together to summon people for special announcements and events, it was also rung on important occasions such as King George III's 1761 ascension to the British throne and in 1765 to call the people together to discuss Parliament's controversial Stamp Act. With the uh, outbreak of the American Revolution in April 1775, the bell was rung to announce the battles of Lexington and Concord. In its most famous tolling, however, it was on July the 8th, 1776, when it summoned Philadelphia citizens for the first reading of the Declaration of Independence. As the British advanced towards Philadelphia in the fall of 1777, the bell was removed from the city and hidden in Allentown to save it from being melted down by the British and used to make cannons. After the British defeat in 1781, the bell was returned to Philadelphia, which served as the nation's capital from 1790 to 1800. In addition to marking important events, the bell tolled annually to celebrate George Washington's birthday on the 22nd of February and July 4th uh, as well. The name Liberty Bell was first coined in uh, a poem uh, written in an abolitionist pamphlet in 1839. The question of which, uh, when the Liberty Bell acquired its famous fracture has been subject of a good deal of historical debate. In the most commonly accepted account, the bell suffered a major break while tolling for the funeral of Chief Justice of the United States John Marshall in 1835. And in 1846, the crack expanded to its present size while it was in use to mark Washington's birthday. After that date, it was regarded as an unsuitable for ringing, but it was still ceremoniously tapped on occasion to commemorate important events. On June the 6th, 
1944, when Allied forces invaded France, the sound of the bell's dull ring was broadcast by radio across the United States. If you can imagine July 8th on that date uh, with uh, the bell tolling and having the citizens come out, a third of which were patriots, but a third of which were still loyal to the king, a third didn't have an opinion about it, but to hear the Declaration of Independence, what a thought. Well, former Japanese Prime Minister Shinsu Abe has died. He was shot during a speech on Friday in the city of Nara near Kyoto. He was shot on the street in Nara City, western Japan, at around 11.30 a.m. on Friday. The former leader was campaigning for an upcoming upper house election. He was 67 years of age. As I recall, he left the position of prime minister because of health reasons. Shinsu Abe was transported to the hospital at 12.20. He was in a state of cardiac arrest upon arrival. Resuscitation was administered and, however, unfortunately died at 5.03 p.m., said professional, uh, Professor Fukushima at Nara Medical University Center and Hospital. The shooting has shocked a nation where gun violence is rare. Uh, the suspect is Tetsushia uh, Yamagami, who was detained near the site of the gunshots. Uh, he was a great leader, according to what well, I read a quote by uh, former President Trump, who said he was a great leader and a good friend, especially of the United States. We'll uh, see how this all plays out. Sad news. Governor Ron DeSantis announced that the surplus for the fiscal year of 2021-22 is $21.8 billion, the highest in state history, and more than 21% above the state budget for the fiscal year. Can you imagine that? Collections in May were $742 million above estimates, and preliminary data for June collections are approximately $950 million above estimates. Despite the headwinds created by the Biden administration policies, Florida is in a strong fiscal position because of we preserved freedom and kept our economy open, said uh, Governor Ron DeSantis. Our responsible policies have allowed us to make record investments to support our communities, promote education, support the environment, and uh, provide record tax relief for Floridians, all while building record reserves to protect the state against the reckless fiscal policies from Washington, D.C., uh, there are a lot of categories. The money was uh, had a surplus, including well, there's a rainy day fund, $2.7 billion added to that, uh, $15.7 billion to unallocated general revenue, and $2.8 billion to unallocated trust funds. I would imagine that goes to Medicaid. And 40, uh, $499 million to a newly created emergency preparedness and response fund. Florida continues to outpace the nation as Florida's business continues to be robust. Unemployment rate has remained steady at 3% and 0.6% point lower than the national rate. Florida's statewide unemployment rate has been lower than the national rate for 18 consecutive months since December 2020. Florida's statewide unemployment rate has declined or held steady for 22 consecutive months. Between May 2021 and 22, Florida's labor force grew by 313,000 to 3%, faster than the national labor force grew at a rate of 2.2%. Between May 21 and May 22, Florida's total private sector employment grew by 459,500 jobs, 5.9%. That's in the private sector, faster than the national private sector job growth of 5.1% year over year. As of May of 2022, 
Uh, Florida employers have added uh, jobs for 25 consecutive months since May 2020. Florida's private sector over-the-year job growth has exceeded the nation's for 14 consecutive months. Pretty spectacular financial record. Isn't it reassuring to know that as opposed to being on the brink of financial ruin, like many states have been before all this money was distributed uh, from the stimulus program, Florida is in great shape. Good to see. And by the way, uh, friends of Ron DeSantis, the political action committee of Governor DeSantis, brought in $3.61 million between June 1 and uh, uh, June 24th. Uh, It's added $10 million in each of May and April, long surpassing the $100 million mark. DeSantis is unmatched not just within Florida, but nationwide in his fundraising goals. The governor's fundraising wealth puts him in the number one fundraiser in state politics in 2022 and in the election cycle so far. Next to him, uh, Governor Abbott has raised $44,778,000. He's in second place. If you can imagine that, Governor DeSantis has raised twice as much or more. Needless to say, he's a significant advantage over Democrat opponents Charlie Crist and Nikki Freed, who both of them says it doesn't matter how much money we <laughs> we're not running on that. Well, of course not. Well, for the third year in a row, and I did not know this, but University of West Florida led the state in arguably the most important metric in higher education, finding success after school. You may recall that Governor Scott made a big deal about creating metrics for the success of uh, schools based on how their students did. Well, UWF, West uh, Florida University, graduates have combined success at finding additional academic opportunities or employment during their first year out of college and did then did graduates from other universities. Recently released data from the Florida Board of Governors states that more than 72% of UWF students who graduated at the conclusion of the 2021 school year are now employed or furthering their education. The Florida Board of Governors began evaluating this back in 2014. Metric one is based on the percentage of graduating class of underclassmen who enrolled at another academic institute or employed within the country and earning at least $30,000 within the first year of uh, getting their bachelor's degree. Pretty impressive. Proof of the pudding is in the tasting, and uh, if you're thinking about going to a school in uh, Florida, the Florida University System, which, by the way, is excellent, uh, University of West Florida might be a consideration. Well, a recent poll found that 75% of women think their state should not allow abortions past 15 weeks, matching Florida's 15-week abortion ban. The Harvard-Caps-Harris poll asked participants that their state should allow abortions up to 15 weeks or past 23 weeks. About 75% of women and 69% of men supported not allowing abortions past 15 weeks. Even though the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, Florida's 15-week abortion legislation faces challenges in state court. When asked if abortion should be allowed at the 23-week mark, only 25% of women and 31% of men got behind that course of action. Florida's new abortion ban prohibits abortions after 15 weeks in most cases. The exception includes when the mother's life is in danger. Florida uh, Circuit Court Judge John Cooper said the ban is unconstitutional because it violates the privacy provision in the Florida Constitution. 
However, DeSantis said the Florida Supreme Court previously misinterpreted Florida's right to privacy as including a right to abortion. We reject this interpretation because the Florida Constitution does not include and never has included a right to kill the innocent unborn child, according to a spokesperson from the governor. Well said. And then even more news. Governor Greg Abbott of Texas issued an executive order authorizing and empower the Texas National Guard and the Texas Department of Public Safety to apprehend illegal immigrants who illegally cross the border between ports of entry and return them back to the border. That is just great news. The Biden administration decision to end Title 42 expulsions and the remaining Mexico policies led to historic levels of illegal crossings, with 5,000 migrants being apprehended over the July 4th weekend, creating a border crisis that has overrun communities along the border and across Texas. While President Biden refuses to do his job and enforce the immigration laws enacted by Congress, the state of Texas is once again stepping up and taking unprecedented action to protect Americans and secure our southern border, said Governor Abbott. The cartels have become emboldened and enriched by President Biden's open border policies, smuggling in record numbers of people, weapons, and deadly drugs like fentanyl. Well, thank you, Governor Abbott. I'm sure once these migrants begin to see uh, people return to the border, they're going to have second thoughts about trying to make the, uh, the trip across the United States border. It's good to, you know, it's too bad the, the president won't do it. But by the way, this uh, executive order, the Biden administration has abandoned Covenant Article 4, Paragraph 4 of the United States Constitution. So it provides for the states to take take care of their own borders. That's the Constitution of the United States. So this is all legal. Of course, it will probably be challenged in the Supreme Court. But nevertheless, great to see there's a uh, finger in the dike uh, when it comes to illegal immigration. By the way, a couple of guys tried to uh, kill people at, in Richmond, Virginia on July the 4th, a couple of illegal immigrants, and somebody overheard them talking about it, and they were arrested. So glad to see that uh, that was stopped, but just demonstrates that there could be no good coming out, or very little good coming out of allowing illegal immigrants into the United States. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website 
website at lulubees.com and stop by Lulubees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulubees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulubees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. And to find out more and download the app, you can go to the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Scott Baer. He's the CEO of the Community Pregnancy Clinics. Now we have with us William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Tell us about the Cato Institute. You bet. Uh, We're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website. So thank you for that, William. So talking about things that are going on in Capitol Hill, and one of the things that emerges here is now the Biden administration, Biden himself, is a kind of changing course when it comes to energy policy. What are your thoughts? Well, shoot, I'm not sure as to whether or not I see a change of course. I mean, from what I can tell, he continues to sort of blame everything except for his administration's reluctance to embrace domestic production. Right. Um, We've spoken in prior weeks about how, um, you know, he's blamed, of course, Putin um, or Russian aggression. He's blamed oil companies for putative price gouging. And uh, just earlier, uh, over the weekend, he sent out a tweet in which he blamed gas stations. And he asked them to, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but this is almost verbatim, to bring down the price you were charging at the pump, um, which, again, is, is ludicrous. I mean, that's something a 20-year-old would believe, um, uh, you know, the, the notion that they've got sort of free reign there, that they're not, these gas station owners aren't beholden to the, to the um, you know, the gas market. Um, and then we had his top economic advisor, Brian Deese, mm. uh, appear on uh, cable news a couple days ago, um, in which he, he basically told the American people that they should suck it up on behalf of uh, you know defending Russian aggression, which is you know again it, it's, it's a weird message given that um, you know they frankly don't everything except for embrace domestic production and indeed their their pace of leasing on federal lands to oil and gas companies 
has been slower than even the Obama administration at, at the same point of their respective presidencies. So it's, uh, you know, it's sort of all doublespeak and uh, very little action, certainly no energy dominance if you will, to contrast it with his predecessor. Yeah, and I might say, I think he said the uh, quiet part out loud. He said that, uh, look, we have to sustain this uh, course of action because we need to sustain the new liberal world order or something to that effect. It was, yeah, I'm not sure if that was a slip of the tongue or I saw that. I wasn't precisely sure what was going on there. I don't think he meant progressive world order. I think he meant more, you know, uh, uh, Western democracies and whatnot, and because the whole context there was, um, you know, again, telling the American people to, to suck it up because, you know, we've got to, uh, I guess, take on this Russian aggression. And I don't speak at all to foreign policy. I'm not generally a peacemaker, an isolationist, but that's my personal opinion. Well, I certainly respect that. I, of course, am a little bit more cynical. So <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. So uh, let's uh, move to Congress. And now it, it looks like uh, they're trying to, a new bill is they're trying to get some more uh, pork out there through the Senate, uh, uh, reduce size, some stimulus program of some sort. Well, so I'll say this. I took a look at this as well, and as progressive bills go, this could be a lot less responsible. Um, and by that I mean it's, it's, the fun it's a function of negotiations between Schumer, the majority leader Schumer, and West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin. Um, and if you recall, Trump won West Virginia. That's where Manchin is from, of course. He won that by 40 points. Mm -hmm. um, so the upshot is that anything that's going to come out of those negotiations, I guess, won't be as you know, a, 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 a true blue progressive. Um, and what they're talking about is raising a trillion dollars in revenue, in essence, by repealing the Trump era tax cuts, um, and then using half of that money to lower the deficit. And that's the part that, to me, you know, sounds at least responsible. And then it's the other part, uh, the other half, alas, that they want to give away on climate subsidies, you know, green energy stuff, um, Affordable Care Act subsidies, um, and the like. So uh, again, it's uh, half of it is terrible, um, but the half that, that is fiscally responsible and you know surely is a function of, of Senator Manchin's participation in these negotiations. Um, you know, that that's a uh, um, could be worse, yeah, <laughs> yeah. especially coming from you know, the Democrats. Uh, exactly. And I know that uh, Manchin is supportive of raising taxes. I'll just point out the Laffer curve uh, when uh, the president, uh, Trump, uh, pushed through uh, lowering taxes, the actual government revenue actually increased increased substantially. So um, the, the probability is quite high that, in fact, the tax rates go up. It could actually decrease the government revenue, uh, because that's wow. that's the way the Laffer curve works. I'm so glad you raised that, because that is a, a one. That's a fantastic point, and it's like uh, counter to what you know. I don't please don't think I was condoning the, the effort, um, uh, you know, coming out of the, the Democrat-controlled Senate. Right. Um, however, I would just put on the table not just the Laffer curve, but also regulatory reform. Mm -hmm. I mean, getting rid of this this federal red tape that gums up private enterprise. I think that could go a long way towards spurring innovation, spurring wealth creation, and thereby, you know, engendering increased coffers for the government. No question. Well, William, before I let you go, any comments at all about the January 6th testimony and what's going on? Well, I mean, as we spoke of last week, I guess uh, that, that uh, bombshell, quote-unquote, testimony from Hutchinson continues to be contested. The Secret Service doubled down on their dispute of her secondhand account. And at the end of the day, 
there were three people in that limo, Trump and two Secret Service agents, and all three of them disagree with their second-hand account. So, I mean, that, I guess that does what it does. Yeah, it does, but they continue to push, and they're trying to, uh, I guess this is all trying to push towards uh, somehow indicting President Trump, trying to discredit him so that he will not become the candidate uh, in the 2024 election. I think this is where it's all going, and you have Merrick Garland on the other end of this. He is the guy that would actually bring charges against the president, Would and uh, of course, uh, they held up his appointment to the Supreme Court, so <laughs> you know, it makes me wonder about the motivation here. Well, if I might just throw in here, as we've spoken of before, I think the motivation is uh, impure politics, if you will. That is, this is the foremost plank of the Democrats' platform for their re-election campaign, you know, upcoming in November. And I really think that has sort of corrupted um, the process. I mean, you know, that is not to condone what occurred on January 6th. And I don't think the president's actions were by any means presidential. But I do think that making this into a campaign gimmick has undermined the message for Democrats. No question. Again, William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. The website is cato.org, C-A-T-O dot org. William, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Scott Baer. He is the CEO of the Community Pregnancy Clinics. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples' only vitality and longevity practice where acupuncture, Medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a one-of-a-kind restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com, or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. You get kidding 
tickets now and find out more by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Michael Cannon. He's the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Right now we have with us Scott Baer. He is the CEO of the Community Pregnancy Clinics. Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob, for having me. Always a pleasure. Tell us about the Community Pregnancy Clinics. Yeah, so we're, we're the largest in the state of Florida set of crisis pregnancy clinics. Uh, we're one of the oldest since 1974. We've served thousands of women around the state of Florida, from uh, Naples and Fort Myers and Sarasota, all the way up to the University of Florida, where we have a site right on the campus of the uh, University of Florida. Uh, doing great things, saving lives and uh, helping uh, mothers with uh, unwanted pregnancies in many cases, and uh, it's just a, a terrific organization. I've been supporting them for years. So, Scott, uh, of course, now that we have post-Roe v. Wade, and there's been a lot of demonstrations, what kind of response have you seen from the community uh, since uh, the Dobbs opinion came out? Yeah, there's been tons of excitement, let me put it that way, yeah. <laughs> in one form or fashion. So our supporters are excited because now, after 50 years, you know, the the effort goes to the uh, state level, right, back to where it should have been all along, and even at the more local level, people want to get engaged, right? So with their time, talent, and treasure, uh, they're finding ways to reach out and show show their support uh, because they see the opposition and they see what, uh, you know, what what we're up against is uh, maybe uh, it's bigger than, than we thought in some ways, but at the same time, we've got the grassroots efforts. We're helping women on the ground and uh, that's something we're just going to continue to do each and every day. Yeah. So uh, have there been any threats at all uh, to the uh, clinics or uh, demonstrations or uh, violence? We've been fortunate here in, uh, you know, Collier County, Lee County. Law enforcement's very, uh, very close and very supportive. So we have not experienced that. We have had some online harassment, uh, things that are, you know, maybe uptick of, uh, of negative uh, things happening online with us and maybe double booking our, their appointments and then you know, no one shows up kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we know nationally, right, there's been over 40 um, pregnancy clinics like ours that have been attacked either from graffiti or even worse through firebombings. And then, of course, the hundreds of churches, I think they're also part of that ongoing um, uh, effort, you know, uh, I guess on the defense that these uh, churches and pregnancy clinics have been. So we haven't seen that, but, uh, you know, we're being being very vigilant and being very aware of what's of what's out there. Well, we can thank uh, Florida for good law enforcement because that's usually what holds off these types of things. So, so what, what are you hearing from uh, the women who are walking through your doors? Yeah, so that's been interesting because, you know, right now as of today, you know, the 15-week ban is in effect. Um, but people don't kind of realize that, um, you know, 80% or more, actually 90% in, in Florida of abortions happen before 15 weeks. Mm-hmm. So most of the women who have been coming to us over the years and are coming now are coming at that 6 to 10-week gestation, um, maybe 12-week. But so we're not seeing an uptick from that. But we are seeing increased uh, demand, um, and a lot of the women are telling us that they have more material need, more assistance that they're seeking, um, and that's largely due, of course, you know, Thank you, Joe Biden, to the economy. Um, so we're seeing women who have greater need, but it's mar- far more from the economy than from anything else right now. Yeah, some national figures like uh, Elizabeth Warren, for example, are saying that uh, the, the efforts by uh, the likes of the community pregnancy clinics are actually harming uh, women. Yeah. Any thoughts? Yeah, I thought that was amazing when I saw her say that. Um, not surprising, but, uh, you know, I would challenge Elizabeth Warren and everybody else who's parroting those talking points 
to say, ask them if they've ever been in a crisis pregnancy clinic. Uh, likely they have not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and if you think about abortion itself as an industry, you know, that's income generating, right? And that's, that's the industry. It's what they're doing. They're making money. Uh, compassion is cost, and uh, it takes a lot of time, talent, and treasure to do what we do. Uh, but this idea that we're harming women is just staggeringly uh, false. And, you know, and those talking points go along the lines that we coerce women, that we're not medical, uh, that we're not actually there to help women. We're there to you know, kind of intimidate them and so forth. And I can tell you from the thousands of women who have entered our doors uh, over the years, tens of thousands and millions across the country, uh, their testimony speaks a largely uh, different experience about what they're experiencing, the compassion, the care, uh, walking with women, you know, through their challenges, so that they can make the best decision for them, which is is going to be to you know to bring that life into the world. Absolutely, and Scott, you know, I've I've been to the annual uh, events for the uh, community pregnancy clinics and meeting the parents who've. Uh, gone through the process and or the the woman uh, single mother perhaps who uh, gone through the process and uh, had the child and the, the wonderful outcomes that have occurred it's just really been inspiring uh, maybe you could tell us I mean you think about a woman who's look uh, she's got an unwanted pregnancy perhaps concerned about the support she might get from her family doesn't know where to turn doesn't have resources how do you deal with that yeah so that's often what I call I was in, I was in the military for several years and you get that tunnel vision right under stress uh, they think they're alone. Uh, they think there's no alternatives. Uh, you know, usually it's that very kind of small vision of what's available to them. And most women don't realize what's available in their own community. Mm-hmm. You go around the country, uh, 90% of women will not know what's available in terms of pregnancy resources and maternity homes, job assistance, uh, counseling services, and the list goes on and on and on. Our referral network is huge. So when women see what's available, they kind of see what's the, the panorama of resources that are available in their own community. And that's the thing. Like, we've been building this kind of network, this safety network uh, for a long time. And, again, Planned Parenthood and, and the like have built the lobbyists in D.C. That's been their effort. And here we are helping women. And so when women see that and they see what's available to them, uh, they're often going to choose life. And, of course, if they see the ultrasound, which is, you know, every, everything's free for us. You know, we do free pregnancy tests, free ultrasound, uh, free STI testing, which are, you know, it's a very important thing for a woman to know if she's pregnant, uh, what, what her gestational age. And then, okay, does she have any other complications that could complicate? Uh, if she chooses to get an abortion, it's going to make that much worse in terms of the infection being spread. Um, and so when women see that and then they see, you know, I always say that unless women feel loved, um, lovable, mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be very hard for them to be loveable. Yeah. And if they experience the love and compassion that's out there in our communities, uh, they're going to be more likely to make that choice for life and for love. Yeah, you had mentioned that the services are free, but of course they're not free. They, they, <laughs> they cost money. How are you funded? Yeah, so we are totally um, dependent on our supporters and people out there like you. Thank you, sir, um, for supporting us. Again, with time, talent, and treasure, it's not just the investment uh, that people give you know, monetarily. That's so important. Uh, but when people come through our doors, I encourage people to say, hey, let's take a tour, let's see what's going on there, and let's see how we can be a part of it. Uh, but we are totally dependent on private donors and uh, no government dollars at all. Yeah, amazing organization. Do you have a website? We do. We have two. One is for, for clients or for you know, potential people who need our services. That would be communitypregnancyclinics.com. 
And for people who want to just get involved in other ways through volunteering or support, that would be supportcpci.com. Cpci.com is the website to take a look at it. Do uh, support the community pregnancy clinics. Scott, uh, we mentioned the annual event that you have. Uh, Do you have one planned coming up? We do. It's in March. It's our annual Lifesaver event. Uh, And that's Kaylee McEnany, the uh, former press secretary for the White House. Uh, she'll be coming in March. We have a couple other events leading up to that. I'll start with uh, August, uh, actually September 13th. We've got a guy named Seth Gruber coming in to speak to pastors, um, also with Terry Beatley. And they're going to focus on uh, speaking to pastors and people involved in life ministry. Uh, we want to activate the churches because there's a huge reservoir of resources that we can connect, again, women to. Uh, if we just tap into that resource there. So Seth Gruber and um, T- Terry Beatley uh, September 13th, and then Kaylee McEnany in March. But we'll maybe be t- between now and then we can uh, share more about that. Absolutely. And I just encourage our listeners again to go to your website, cpci.org, is it? Uh, that's .com, C- and the communitypregnancyclinics.com as well. All right. And it, the, I'm sorry, the first one, supportcpci.com. Right. Uh, Scott, just genuinely appreciate your commentary here uh, on the show, as well as the work that you're doing in the community. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I look forward to seeing you in the future. Me too. Thank you, Scott. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Michael Cannon. He is the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org.
Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Michael Cannon, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here, Bob. Thank you, Michael. So uh, I got a, uh, you sent me some information about cataract surgery. It's kind of interesting because I had cataract surgery about less than two years ago. And uh, apparently things are getting a little bit muddled up because of insurance company behavior. Maybe you can tell us about it. That's right. So how did your cataract surgery go, Bob? Well, it went Before great. We that. Uh, well, I'll say this. Uh, my, my story is that uh, everybody says, oh, man, it's a snap. You go in there, they do it in about in a few minutes, and you're out of there. It's great. Well, I went into the surg- <laughs> surgical center. They started throwing robes on me and taking blood tests and all kinds of things. I said, wait a minute, this is more complicated than I thought. In other words, my expectations were a little bit low uh, about the process, but everything went extremely smooth. Everything, my, uh, I, when I finished the surgery, I could see, it was just amazing how much better I could see. The colors just popped out. Uh, the, the clarity of vision was so much more improved. It was just a fantastic experience. So, uh, it, but in the last analysis, I probably would describe it a little bit more different than my friends extra- uh, described it to me. There's a little bit more to it than, than I expected, but it, that's all in the interest, of course, in, in safety and cleanliness and so forth. Well, I'm glad uh, I, I asked because your story actually illustrates a lot of the dynamics in this fight between insurance companies and and the doctors over cataract surgery. So the insurance giant Aetna announced a little while ago that they were going to require pre-authorization before they would cover those surgeries. This is mostly for people who enroll in an Aetna plan through the Medicare program, Medicare Advantage. Mm -hmm. And as you can imagine, this did not uh, please uh, the, the surgeons who perform these procedures, but Aetna's claim was that 20% of the cataract surgeries that uh, seniors are receiving are not medically necessary and that are inappropriate. And on top of that, it's not just that, uh, uh, and and how could that happen? Well, you kind of described how you hear from your friends that uh, I had this surgery and wow, the colors really pop. And Maybe you have uh, uh, maybe you'll have some vision problems, and you're hoping cataract surgery will help, or at least it wouldn't hurt. So maybe I'll go and talk to to my doctor about this, and 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 so you can see how the 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 benefits of cataract surgery are so attractive that they will attract some people who might not stand to benefit at all. And insurance companies are concerned about that, not only because it comes, the cost of those procedures comes out of their, uh, uh, out of their pockets, but also because there are so many other tests that, uh, that once you're in this ambulatory surgical center or hospital or wherever doing, they're doing this procedure, they might do other tests on you that they would not have done had you not been there. And uh, there's also the risk of complications. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, you, you say they're going through all these steps to ensure cleanliness. There's a reason for that. Anytime you go in for any medical procedure, there's a risk of infection. There's a risk of uh, uh, adverse outcomes. 
and the insurance companies are on on the hook for that. What's 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 maybe what's most fascinating about this uh, Aetna uh, policy requiring preauthorization is that uh, there is such a flap about it; it blew up in their faces uh, so immensely that they've had to retract the policy. Huh? Because because the doctors and the patients uh, got so upset. And the figure, this is not worth the hassle, uh, and so they're not going to require preauthorization or not require it as much. And this really encapsulates why it's so hard to contain healthcare spending, contain healthcare prices in the U.S. health sector. And it's because we've got the government and giant insurance companies paying for so much of our medical care. Yeah, let me, let me pay with other people's money, and no one, no one cares about waste. No one cares about excessive prices as they should. Uh, let me let me say this also. I went in for my checkup this year, and uh, he said, hey, boy, everything looks great. He says, by the way, your eyelids look like they might get in the way of your sight. Why don't we take care of that for you? <laughs> so <laughs> he was suggesting some sort of a, uh, where he was, uh, cutting, uh, I guess it would be some, what do they call it, plastic surgery or something like that. Uh, oh, on yeah. My, on my eyelids, because now he says now Medicare takes care of it. Yeah, and it's free. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> Well, first of all, first of all, Bob, you look great. You don't need no touch up. <laughs> well, <laughs> and 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 again, we can see how spending other people's money leads people to yeah. consume more medical services than they would otherwise. And it's not just because oh my gosh, it's free. I'm not going to go get all the medical care I want. It's because you're going in. For uh, you know a, a sensible interaction with the uh, with your healthcare provider, and they're trying to upsell you right uh, on on stuff that you might not need, and it might be on balance harmful rather than helpful. Right, it was so interesting. And not only that, but after after he made the comment and left the room, I was immediately directed to the to the office where I would arrange for the financing of. <laughs> Of this surgery, so it it is a, it is a process that they have down pat. It was just amazing. I, by the way, uh, the footnote here is I didn't do the surgery because I don't have any trouble seeing, and uh, I'm not going to do it because of uh, cosmetic reasons. So uh, anyhow, I thought it was a kind of an interesting. Uh, to your point, uh, when you're spending somebody else's money, it's pretty easy to to, to make that happen. And, and people think the solution to all of this is Medicare for all. Some people think that, not not many, but some people think. Uh, that that's an that's evidence of you know, greed by your doctor, greed by insurance companies, or what have you. Right. Uh, but the Medicare program is no better at this. Medicare wastes money, uh, but when it comes to cataract procedures, if if you look at how much Medicare pays for cataract surgeries uh, at an out at an, uh, uh, an ambulatory surgical center, they'll pay a thousand dollars per procedure on average. But at a hospital, same procedure in a hospital outpatient department, Medicare pays twice as much, two thousand dollars. Wow! There's no economic rationale for that as, at all. It, it, the reason for that is, is nothing other than the lobbying influence of hospitals, and it, it highlights how well a market would never tolerate that. A market would bid down those prices. The competition would uh, would bid. Uh, Bring those prices down so that either the hospitals would charge a thousand dollars, or they would just stop performing the procedures if they can't perform them as reliably and uh, affordably as their competitors. Uh, a market would never tolerate those excessive prices, but Medicare pays them day after day after day. Yeah, it's so true. And by the way, parenthetically, I, I had my hip uh, replaced 
on June the 9th, uh, outpatient surgery for a full hip replacement, if you can believe that. I was on the uh, uh, operating table at 7.30 in the morning, and I was in, getting in the car ready to go home at 11 o'clock. So. <laughs> but I would suggest that that saved uh, a lot of hospital expenses. The doctor probably made more money. Uh, I'm sure an insurance company paid less money, and uh, it's a win-win for everybody involved except the hospital. Perhaps, perhaps. We could probably do an entire segment on hip replacements and uh, what what happens with the pricing for those and, and who benefits and, and who loses. It sounds uh, like there's really been... Sounds like we have a topic for our coming week <laughs> discussion. Michael Cannon, again, Director of Health Policy Study at the, uh, at the Cato Institute. I encourage you to visit Cato.org, Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Michael, always appreciate your most well-informed commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. You bet, Bob. Take care. You as well. Thank you, Michael. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Bell. Larry Bell is an endowed professor at the University of Houston, space architecture and author of many books. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, among other things, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's also an author. His latest book... Uh, which 
not available on Amazon uh, yet, but soon will be, I'm sure. It's called Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. He also writes his column for Newsmax called On Point. Uh, Professor Bell, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Always a pleasure, Professor. Any word on when the book is going to be available? Well, I checked the other day, and it's still not up. So I think it's a matter of uh, days, probably more than weeks, but, but uh, we'll see. It's a, it's a process. I think they're having – they've had problems in the past supply chain with paper and stuff like that, just all the printers. Huh. So I don't, I don't know if that's an issue or not, but it'll, it'll, it'll be out. But thank you for asking. Oh, absolutely. I'm looking forward to get the book and uh, reading it. Sounds like a really interesting read. Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. Uh, Professor, uh, you wrote your column for Newsmax, uh, which, by the way, is usually two or three columns a week. Your latest, BlackRock, Beijing holds stakes in Biden anti-fossil energy plan. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, it's a, it's an I think an interesting uh, perspective, and uh, it picks up off on a comment that Brian Deese made, and Brian Deese is an economic uh, director for for the White House, you know, head, head of the White House National Economic Council, and he was responding to a comment that uh, Joe Biden made uh, about the you know when. The reporter asked him, uh, in, asked uh, Biden in Madrid, and said it's a summit meeting, and asked Biden, uh, how long uh, do Americans have to tolerate this, these high pump prices resulting from Ukraine? Of course, his question of whether you, how much Ukraine contributed to that. And Biden said, as long as it takes. And then Brian Deese, I think it was the same day, mm-hmm. you know, was asked by another reporter, about Biden's comment, and Brian Deese had made the, the comment, well, you know, we have to stand fast. This is important because it's part of the liberal world order. And, and the press went all over that, and it's, and, and properly so. And, and, you know, this it plays into this notion of globalism and the U.S. <coughs> agenda and so on. But if you dig a little deeper into this story... Um, and you look at Brian Deese and you look at some of the others that are advising the White House and that are very close to the White House and inside the White House. Brian Deese is originally from uh, BlackRock, a large, you know, they had a huge uh, money asset management firm with literally about $10 trillion in their, in their, under their influence. And they've been p- pushing these ESG accounts, these environmental social justice uh, you know, guidance uh, accounts that that push uh, investments. You know, BlackRock buys; they have so much money, and, and so they they buy. Uh, you, know, they, you know, they they get people appointed on boards of many, many, many companies, and then they they control a lot of influence in the companies through the board members. And mm-hmm. So they're very, very, very powerful organizations, and almost unlimited amount of you know money to spend and uh so the the perspective of the article and i I don't think it's it's too far out of kilter but we tend to think you know i think the age-old question with maybe age-old is a good metaphor with 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 biden but but (laughs) but the question is uh 
who really controls Biden? And I think the thought is generally, well, who in the White House controls Biden or who in the Democratic socialist circles control Biden? Mm-hmm. I think there's a, another layer, more more layers, far above that. When you say, well, to what extent does do organizations like BlackRock that have unlimited amount of money control influence in the White House and the Biden White House most particularly? And you look at uh, it's not just Brian Deese, but it's it's other it's other uh, people from BlackRock, for example that have, according to White House logs, made many, many, many visits to the White House of, of late. And, uh, uh, and, and these people seem to have almost unlimited access to the White House. They're also pushing all this, uh, you know, the uh, frenetically pushing green energy. Mm-hmm. And they're frenetically against fossil energy. And I think that the thought that but this is just emanating from, you know, some of the crazy people uh, like Pocahontas and, and and Bernie Sanders and so on. Uh, you know, I call them, call them crazy, but I mean, they're very, very, very radical and so on, or AOC or whoever you want to put your finger on. I think these, these people are kind of bit players in the whole picture. Interesting. I think it's much, much higher than that. And after all, you have companies like BlackRock. They're globalist country companies. And what... Where are they investing their money? Well, in China. Goldman Sachs, BlackRock have huge investments in China. And uh, in their, they see themselves as very much of a globalist organizations. And if you trace, again, the things I've written about, a lot of others have written about, look at this uh, electric vehicle stuff and the wind power and so on. Well, 80% of the, of the polysilicons or 90% come from China and Chinese Owned, owned organizations, Africa, whatever, and uh, almost all the, you know, 80% of the rare earth materials for the batteries all come from China. And so we see this uh, huge uh, uh, patty cake in, in, in co-investment between BlackRock and these companies with China. At the same time, we see a, a great deal of, you know, fuzzy Biden family stuff with China. Yeah, with 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 the Bank of China, Chinese Bank of China, and with and with with these different organizations. That have, one of them, you know, this now defunct, funneled nearly six million dollars to 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 the Biden, you know, to to to, to uh, Hunter Biden's company, and and you know, and then the deal with ten percent for the for the big guys. So I think I'm just saying, there's I think there's a much larger picture here, and we yeah. we look at we get fixated on. And kind of the micro level, what's happening in the White House and, and so on. I think I think that uh, that's the shiny object. I think there's a there's there's something else going on behind the curtain that uh, we're not looking at. Yeah, I think that is that is such an, an interesting observation and thought. And just to pile on, I, I mean, we we just sold uh, out of our strategic oil reserve. We, we, we shipped we shipped oil to China of all things. I mean, it's just uh, it's certainly not as significant as the things that you're pointing out, but nevertheless, evidence more evidence that uh, uh, we've uh, got some sort of tra- strategic relationship with China that's not being fully disclosed. It's so interesting. Well, there's an iron, there's a terrible irony there when we think of you know where you know we've I think our, as I'm recalling, we had uh, I lose number track of the numbers, but something like. 
600 million barrels of oil. I, I could be wrong on that's there's a there's a six in there somewhere, and we've and we've sold one. We've already sold off one, uh, you know, one uh, hundred million of them. I think or, or more to to pay off debt or pay it to to foreign organizations, and then they dipped in again to you know again to the, this uh, latest raid on the reserve, which was supposed to be to reduce. Pump prices. I mean, that was the idea. Now we find out. Well, n- well, no, that money, you know, that that went to India, whatever, and and, and then it wound up in in China, whatever, you know, and all these convoluted things. And meanwhile, you got you got the president of the United States browbeating the gas station owners that are selling, trying trying to survive selling cigarettes and and Cheetos. Yeah, you know, to, to, to be patriotic. And, and drop the prices. They're making more on a Snickers bar than they are on a gallon of gas. Yeah. And so, you know, it's uh, there's a lot of really uh, uh, convoluted shenanigans going on here. And and I, I think the public's finally getting wise to it. I think so as well, Professor. Yeah. The name of the book, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design, going to be available in the next few days here at Amazon.com. Professor, always appreciate your comment. Oh, by the way, Check out Newsmax.com and uh, Professor Bell's column. It's called On Point. Professor, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. And, Bob, I always enjoy our conversation. Me as well. Thank you, Professor. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. We've got some great guests for Monday's show, including a local uh, political activist and attorney, Doug Lewis, will be with us. Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. And Larry Reed, endowed, he's a professor emeritus at the Foundation for Economic Education. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.